Well, if you have a Bible with you this evening, please turn with me back to that little book of 1 John and back to chapter 4. And I'd like to direct your attention to those verses in 9 and 10. John writes, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And my title for this evening is The Greatness of God's Love. The Greatness of God's Love. In verses uh, 7 and 8, John has been stating that love is part of the very essence of who God is. In verse 7, he tells us that love is of God. And then in verse 8, John flips this concept around and he says, God is love. What he's saying here is that love does not merely come from God, uh, nor is this uh, love a created love. God did not say, you know, as it were, on, on day one of creation, let there be love. No, rather, this is a love that is part of the very being and the very nature of God. And therefore, we can say that this love of God, it's an eternal love. It's an unchangeable love. It's an invariable love. And yet, you know, when you talk to people today, uh, this truth of the love of God is often questioned. You know, if, if God really is a God of love, as it tells us here, why is there so much cruelty? Why is there so much hurt and sorrow in this world? If God is love, why do bad things happen? If God is love, why are there earthquakes and tsunamis and pandemics, for example? If God is a God of love, why do people die? Surely, people say, if God was a God of love, he would step into this world. He would sort out all the problems, wouldn't he? He would prevent these things, prevent this cruelty. He would alleviate those who suffer. He would, he would stop these natural disasters. If he is so, so called a God of love and he's almighty, he would, he would stop these things. And so some might say, well, prove to me that God is love. Well, here in these two verses in this passage before us tonight, John makes this statement concerning God being love, but then he provides us with the evidence of God's love. In a sense, he says, if you want to see what God is like, if you want to see what the love of God is like, then let me give you the evidence tonight. Let me show you. And so he says at the beginning of verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God. This is, this is how God's love is shown, and he goes on to explain it. The beginning of verse 10, he says, herein is love. If you were to translate that perhaps a little bit more accurately, you would say, herein is the love. There's a definite article there. If you want to see what the love of God is like, here is what it's like. And he begins to show to us what this is. Uh, love is like here's the evidence he says let me let me show you uh, let me reveal to you let me explain to you what God's love is like let me just give you some of the proof and the evidence and so this evening I want to look at this evidence with you as we look at this love of God and we'll see as we do so it's a great love not just great but the greatest love it's a it's a superlative Love. It's an immeasurable love. It's an incomparable love. It's a, it's a bountiful love. 
And this evening, as we look at these pieces of evidence, I want us to notice four, four parts to this evidence that John prevents, uh, presents to us here, four aspects that reveal the greatness of God's love. And the first thing that we notice here about the greatness of God's love is the gift. The gift. One of the ways that we um, perhaps measure in our minds you know, how much someone loves someone else is by the gift that they give to them. You know, is it a gift that's thought has been employed? Is it a gift that the recipient is going to enjoy? Is it a gift that's good and suitable and needed? You know, gifts often, uh, to a certain degree, express the degree of love that someone has for someone else, don't they? I remember... One year at Christmas, somebody in our family bought someone else a radiator. And uh, the gift didn't go down particularly well. It was given in particular love, but that person didn't see the love behind the gifts. And gifts often show, don't they, how much someone loves. And there's been, of course, many famous gifts given over the years. Supposedly, Nebuchadnezzar II gave to his wife the Hanging Gardens of Babylon as a present, supposedly to stop her feeling homesick. France, of course, gave the Statue of Liberty, didn't it, to the United States of America. And even today, apparently, the Netherlands uh, sends every year 10,000 tulip bulbs to Canada to thank them for their kindness in sheltering Queen Juliana during the Second World War. These are famous examples of gifts that that were sent to demonstrate great love. And John tells us here that God has sent a great gift A gift so great it demonstrates the greatness of his love. Look at verse 9. It tells us what the gift was. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son. And you go down into the next verse, into verse 10. John spells it out again for us because he tells us that God sent his son. John tells us that the gift that God gave was none other than his very own son. God did not give gold, he did not give silver, he didn't offer another creature like an angel, he didn't send another mere man into this world. No, instead it says God sent his son. And just to emphasize how great this love was, John tells us it was his own son. The gift was none other than the very son of God. But you see, John adds something else here because it was not just God's own son, but he says it was his only Son, his only begotten son. Now, sometimes in families there may be disagreements, and sometimes, sadly, fathers do not love their sons as they should. We hear sometimes, don't we, of fathers who do not treat their children kindly at all. Recently, hasn't there, there's been a number of things on the news of parents who've done awful things to their children. It's very sad when we hear these kind of things on the news and Sometimes, of course, we hear, too, of it the other way around. We hear of children who grow up resenting and hating their father. But, friends, when it comes to speaking of God the Father and God the Son, there is only love and there is only perfect unity between them. The Son enjoyed a perfect relationship with his Father. The Son loved the Father. And in return, the Father loved the Son. And they both did so perfectly and, and there was a, harmo- a you know, harmony between them. There's a nearness and a dearness between the Father and the Son. And yet to demonstrate his love, God sends his only begotten Son. 
The one who is the very the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory. Isaiah says, doesn't say, unto us a son is given. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, Christ is called his dear son. The one that he loved. And this is the richest and it's the most, the most beautiful jewel, as it were, in, in God's cabinets to give. Friends, God could not have given a greater gift because he gave his only begotten son. And so we see the greatness of God's love in the gift that he gave. But secondly, we see God demonstrates his, the greatness of his love in the recipients who receive it. Notice what it says in our verse here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And verse 9 says, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. Now, I don't know what uh, traditions you have in your house over Christmas, but uh, perhaps you have somebody who's assigned to hand out the presents. Everyone sat down on Christmas Day in the afternoon and the presents are under the tree and uh, perhaps it's the children, one of the children or uh, grandchildren, if you've got grandchildren, they have the job of uh, going round and uh, picking up the presents and you get the label, don't you? And you look at the label and you read the label and it tells you who the gift is for and you go and take the gift to that person if the label, of course, hasn't fallen off and everyone's trying to remember who the gift is for and, you know, who wrapped it up and so on. And, of course, children are very curious, aren't they? Perhaps some of the boys and girls here tonight, you're like this. You know, if the, if the presents have been put under the tree before Christmas and you see this enormous present, you think to yourself, I wonder who that present's for. And you go around, perhaps, when your parents are not looking and you read the labels, oh, the big one's for me. And you're so excited because the, 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 the biggest present you think is going to be for me and you can't wait to see what's inside. And you're desperate to find out. And of course, maybe you go along and you pick up other ones and you shake it and you're having a, you just want to know who's, who the different presents are for. And John says to us, look, he sent, God has sent this great gift into the world. And so the question is, well, who's it for? What does the label say? Who's the, who's the gift going to be given for? Is it for someone of noble birth? Is it for some king or queen? Is it presented to someone who's done something really heroic? Is it for someone important? Surely God sent his son for somebody important. What does John say in verse 9? In this was manifested the love of God toward us. He says the gift was given for us. And so we then ask the question, well, who are the us in this verse? Who is John writing to? Well, in verse 10, John gives us some extra details as to who this us is. In verse 10, he says, here in his love, not that we loved God's but that he loved us. You see, the us in verse 9 were people who had no love for God. The gift was given to those who did not love God, did not know God, did not want God. To put it in a, in a different way, it's those who hated God. If you don't love God, you hate him. Now, usually when we give gifts, we, we, we give a gift out of love to someone, don't we, in return, knowing that they will give a gift to us because they love us in return. Generally, generally speaking, people are reluctant to give a gift to someone that they know hates them. You wouldn't generally buy a, a big gift to give to someone who you know hates your guts. 
Why would you spare the time? Why would you spare the energy? Why would you spare the thought on, on giving a gift and wrapping it up to someone who you know hates you? It doesn't make sense. But God, you see, gave the greatest of all gifts, the gifts of his, his dear son. And he did so to those who had not one iota of love for him. We might ask, well, what, what kind of people are these who don't have any love for God? Well, there's some clues in these two verses here. What kind of, kind of people don't love God? In verse 9, the inference is that these people have no spiritual life. He says that we might live through him. The indication is that these people who don't love God, they don't have life, spiritual life. In verse 10, he tells us that these people are sinners because he says that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we put this all together. God gave his son for sinners who were dead in their trespasses and sins, who have no love for him. He sent his son for those who are vile, who are unlovely, God-hating sinners. That's why we read that passage back in Ezekiel chapter 16, because it presents to us what a sinner is like. You remember that description there of a child that was just left out in a field, covered in its own blood and its nakedness. It's a picture of something that's unpleasant. It's a picture of something that's unlovely and helpless. And God says, but look, I came to you and I loved you. In Ezekiel, in that passage in chapter 16 and verse 8, it talks about how God looked upon that child. He says, when I passed by thee, I looked upon thee. Behold, the time was the time of love. What a wonderful description that is of what God does. He came, he sent his son because he looked on us in all our vileness, in all our sin. And yet it was a time of love. Romans 5 verse 8 states, doesn't it, that God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you were to go on in Romans chapter 5 in verse 10, it tells us that we were the enemies of God's. We were against God's. Friends here tonight, let me ask you, would you part with your own son or daughter for a friend? Would you give your son or daughter for, for a friend of yours? I doubt it. Would you give your son or your daughter for an enemy? Even less so. But God, you see, delivered up his son for his enemies. And friends, God is speaking of people like you and me tonight. Those who have no love for God. Those who've sinned those who are spiritually dead, those who are the enemies of God. Friends, do you see, therefore, this evening, this is a matchless love. It's a love that's so unspeakable. It's a love that's so wonderful. God sent the greatest of gifts and he sent it to the worst of people. He sent it for sinners like you and me. But I want us to move on thirdly this evening and notice another piece of evidence that John gives here about the greatness of God's love and the, th and the third thing that we can see here is the cost. We've seen the gift, we've seen the recipients, but notice the cost. Now I said earlier that we often measure someone's love by the gift that they give. And one of the things that perhaps we notice is the cost. The cost, of course, may be something that's financial, but of course it may be time or it may be effort. Sometimes... The gifts we value most are not those that are perhaps the most expensive, but those that took great effort or achievement to obtain. And John tells us here something about the cost of the gift that God gave. 
We've already noted that it was God's only begotten Son. And we see, though, expressed here something of the value of what, what John is saying here. John says this gift was sent into the world. Yes, he sent his Son, that's a valuable gift, but where did he send him? He sent him into the world. He sent it into the very place where sin was. The very place where sinners who hated him lived. That's the place that God sent this gift. John, of course, tells us in his gospel that the world knew him not. That he came unto his own and his own received him not. God sent his son into this world of hostility. A world of sin. But more than that, in verse 10, we have another clue here. Of the true cost of this gift. Because he sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word uh, propitiation, it sounds complicated, doesn't it? Perhaps uh, the boys and girls here tonight, perhaps you wonder what that word means. What does the word propitiation mean? We don't, we don't use it, do we, in our ordinary conversation. Let me just give you a brief definition because propitiation means to turn away God's anger and wrath. God is angry with sin, we're told. God must punish sin. And as sinners, we deserve God's anger to fall on us. We deserve his punishment. We deserve his wrath. And what we desperately need is for that anger, that wrath of God to be diverted away from us. And here John tells us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one who diverts the wrath of God. Instead of the wrath of God falling upon us, Jesus has diverted it. He's moved it away. So instead of it falling on us, it falls on him. Some people liken this to a lightning conductor. Perhaps you've seen one of these on a very tall building. The lightning conductor is on the top to ensure that instead of the lightning bolt striking a person or striking the building, it's diverted and it strikes the metal. And so the building is not uh, damaged in any way. And John says this is what Jesus came to do. This is what he was sent to do. He was sent so that God's wrath would fall upon him. That for those who've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, God's wrath has been turned away. And instead of striking us as sinners, it struck him. He was going to be the sacrifice, you see. He was going to be the one who would meet the demands of the law and the, and the fire of God's wrath would fall on him. And friends, when you think about it, the moment that lightning bolt struck, as it were, that moment the fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice was when Jesus was on the cross at Calvary. It's when he went to the cross, wasn't it? When he went to that hill outside of Jerusalem that the lightning fell, as it were, from heaven and instead of falling upon you and me, it fell upon Jesus Christ. And that's why this gift is so costly. Because Christ came into the world and he went to the cross. And it was there on the cross that, that Christ became our propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. It was there, friends, that he endured the most unparalleled sufferings in all the world. It was there that he was inflicted with the greatest of miseries. It was there that the Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for us. It was there that God poured out his wrath on his own dear son, his only begotten son. And the Saviour suffered agony. He suffered hell upon that cross 
It was there that he was pierced, wasn't it? It was there that he was bruised. It was there that he was making his soul an offering for sin. It was there that he shed his precious blood. Friends, we must never forget that Christ shed his blood. The propitiation of Christ was through the shedding of his precious blood. Friends, do you see tonight how costly this gift was? It cost the Father to send his Son. It cost the Son to shed his blood. And he did all of this for you. Words can scarcely describe this love, can they? How can we describe what God was doing there, sending his Son? He didn't send his Son just merely as a man to come back after a few days of being here on earth, but he sent him so he would live a life of toil and woe and a life that would end in the death of the cross. What love, what love sinner for us tonight. We've seen these three things then about this, the greatness of God's love, how the gift and the recipients and the cost, but notice one final thing this evening, and that's notice the purpose of the gifts. Why did Christ die? Why did God send his son? Why, why did God do all of these things? Well, in one sense, we've already answered that question. It was to be the propitiation for our sins. But you notice what John says here. It does for us. In verse 9, he tells us that we might live through him. If we were to go back for a moment to the illustration of the lightning conductor and that lightning bolt, you imagine if it was going to strike us, we would die. If you were walking along through a thunderstorm and, and the lightning bolt struck you, the chances are you're, you're not going to survive. That would be the end of us, wouldn't it? But if it was diverted, and it was diverted away from us to a tree or to the lightning conductor, then we would live and we would be saved. And when Christ stood in our place and the wrath of God fell on him, he died so that we might live. So that we would never have to face eternal death. So that we would have life, spiritual life, so that we might live through him. Christ called it abundant life. He came so that we might have life and that it might be to the full, it might be abundant. Life in all its fullness and its completion. And so what we're being told here by John is that the death of Christ is what saves us. His death is what diverts the consuming fire of God's anger away from us so that we might live and be saved. And so the purpose of this gift then is to save sinners. It's so that you and and me here tonight can be spared from the wrath which is to come. Friends, let me ask you tonight, do you know this love? Are you someone who's trusting in this saviour who died for our sins? Can you say these verses tonight and make it personal? Just look at the verses with me. Can you change the words so it becomes personal to you? In this was manifested the love of God toward me. Put your name there. Was it manifested toward me, Jonathan Wilson, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that I, that I might live through him? Can you say that tonight? Here in his love, not that I loved God. No, I, I, I had no desire for God. I never had any concern for God. I hated God. But that he loved me. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, not just for someone else's sins, but for my sins. Can you say that? 
Can you say, yes, when I see Christ dying on the cross, I'm trusting him and he was dying in my place for my sins. He was my propitiation on that day at Calvary. Friends, can you say that truthfully in your heart? Can you say it personally? Oh, I know the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for sending the greatest gift for me, the worst of sinners, so that I might live through him. And I pray tonight that if if you can't say that you would come and, and trust in this greatest of all gifts, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, and even... Even tonight you would know what it is to be saved and to have life in him. And you know, when you come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you know him as your saviour, you then realise what verse 19 tells us, that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Because he sent his son to die in our place. The one who came to be the saviour of the world. Well, I trust that all of us are trusting in him and love him and serve him and know him as our saviour tonight.